Jewish audio on Chabad.org. Continuing in the Rambam, Mishnah Torah, Hilchas Shabbos, Perik Chav Gimel, Chapter 23. We are continuing in the series of rabbinic decrees. The word for this decree is, in Hebrew, Shvus, coming from the word Tishbot, Shvut, to rest, or in the Sephardic pronunciation, Shvut. Rabbinic decrees, which are based upon the logic of if a person engages in this and this act, it might lead to a violation of a biblical Shabbos act, or it looks so similar to it that people might misunderstand and say, if this guy could do this, then it must be permissible. So that's the basis and the background for these decrees. And we're now going through, I believe, the third chapter, listing decree by decree what melacha, what labor it's rooted in, and what the issue is, and what may be done away, what may not be done by these rabbinic decrees. As mentioned many times, the Rambam is not the final halachic opinion. There is the tour, there is the Shulchan Aruch Beis Yosef, known as the Machaber. There is the Ramah, and as we go down the generations, there is the Alter Rebbe, known as Shulchan Aruch Harav. There's the Mishnah Brura, and many others in between. Aleph Ho'ese Nekev, Shu a person who makes a hole. That could be used for entry and exit. Common example, Kigain, for example. Nekev Shebalula Tarnagelim, a hole in a chicken coop. Why would one make a hole in a chicken coop? Because it allows light to enter and it allows the foul air to leave. So he's making a hole or in any other entity. He is liable for delivering the final blow, the final act, which makes that thing function. So now the hole is cut in the chicken coop. Now it's a real chicken coop. And that's one of the 39 <coughs> prohibitions. Is like the craftsman who takes his hammer, gives it a bang and says, you're done. That's the hammer's blow, meaning the final act. And that's one of the prohibitions. Based upon this biblical prohibition, Lafikah therefore, rabbinically, our sages, Gozru issued a decree, Al Kol forbidding the opening of any hole. Even if it's only made to bring stuff out as an outlet, or to put stuff in as an inlet. Perhaps this outlet or inlet will lead to making something that's biblically forbidden. So typical logic in this system. Because of this, we don't have too much of this today, at least not where I come from in New Jersey. But back then, everything worked with barrels. So you have a barrel, and then you have to drill or punch a hole in the barrel for the stuff to come out. One should not make a new hole in a barrel or a cask. And don't widen it. But you may open an existing hole that has been plugged. 
Provided that the hole is not located below the level of the dregs, which is in the cask. Because the dregs are thick, and it really gets plugged up. If it was below that level, then it has to be really, really tough. And it's forbidden to open it. Imagine if it opens in the bottom, and all that pressure forces stuff out. Therefore, one should avoid that. We may punch a hole in the body of the barrel of the cask. I'm sorry. Correction. We may make a hole in the seal of the cask in order to bring forth wine. As long as it's from the top. But on the side, also it is forbidden. Because he is now creating, making a vessel. A person can actually break a barrel in order to eat dried figs, which are contained in the barrel. As long as his intention is not to create the utensil. Or maybe a person is allowed to bring a cask or a barrel of wine. And he wants to show off before his guests that he's a warrior. He takes a sword and cuts off the top of the barrel. He says, ah, I'm good, huh? No problem. It's not a concern because he's not creating a vessel here. All he's trying to do is show that he is a generous guy, that anybody can have as much wine as you want. So therefore, that would be permissible. And here we see and we underscore the fact that intent is important in the laws of Shabbos. Gimel, just as it's forbidden to open any hole, because it's like the final hammer's blow. Similarly speaking, the decree extends to closing any hole. Therefore, also it's forbidden to close the hole in a barrel. Even something that does not need to be spread, because to spread something on Shabbos is a whole different ball game, which is a problem. Which could lead to squeezing. For example, here he can avoid all this problem by plugging it with a piece of wood or a small stone. But if he put if he put food there, and while putting food in the hole, the byproduct of that is that the hole is plugged. That's permissible. You can even act with guile and make like you're putting food, but you're really closing the barrel. Along the same line, anything that completes the fashioning of any object, the final blow, she violates this labor of Makibapatish. And as an outgrowth of that, if somebody files Kolshu anything, I am a sakin sakin, or he fixes even any article. In any way, Chayab is culpable. Therefore, for that reason, if you're wondering why you're not allowed to play music on Shabbos, 
It is forbidden to make the sound of any musical notes on the Shabbos. Bain be clear sheer whether using a musical instrument, like a harp or a flute or a, a, what is it, lyre, lyre. Lyre is a jet. Bain be or other things. Avo afilo lahakis Furthermore, our sages even extended this. That saying one should not tap one's fingers on the ground or on a board, or snap one finger or one against the other to snap one's fingers rhythmically, like singers do, or to shake a rattle for a child, a nut, a nut or a rattle, ring a bell in order that the child should be silent. All these examples of stuff that makes noise. Kolzel, kayetzebe, anything like this or similar, also is forbidden. Shalayasak and klishir, what's the reason? The reason is because, as musicians know, musical instruments are delicate, and they break, and they need a lot of fixing. So we're concerned you're going to be doing anything instrumental-like. Before you know it, you're going to be fixing stuff. So that's the decree having to do with fixing, which is the outgrowth of what? Of Makibipatish, of that last finishing hammer blow. Now comes the next halacha. Ein misapkim velemiraktim vein mitapkim bishabbos. We may not drum, nor dance, nor clap hands on Shabbos. Gzeda, the same issue. Shema Yisakin Klishir, lest he fix a musical instrument. Well, the Sapikilachayad Mutter, technically, one may clap in a unique, different way. That's why you'll see some people on Shabbos, they'll clap like this instead of like this. Now, I'm going to read note 23 here in the Mosnaim Rambam. <clears throat> the Ramo states, the Ramo is the final. Psak halacha in the Shulchan Aruch, that it's customary to allow clapping one's hands and dancing on the Shabbos and holidays, which is why certainly in Hasidic venues you do see people clapping hands, singing and dancing. Not a problem. That's based on the teaching of the Ramah, <clears throat> just quoted, Arachayim 339, halacha 3. The rationale for this is that today, most people, and I think they're talking about me, most people are not able to repair a musical instrument. You know what Jackie Mason says about the Jew who opens up the hood of a car. The Gentile is fixing everything because he's talented. The Jew says, oh, is it busy here? And he closes it. So, you know, that's me with fixing things. And thus the rationale for our sage's decree, by the way, that was comedy, the rationale for our sages' decree is no longer applicable. I'm reading note 23 in the Mosnaim Rambam. It must, however, be noted that this leniency is granted only with regard to dancing and clapping of hands, not playing drums or performing any of the activities mentioned in the previous halacha, musical instruments and so on. We don't do that on Shabbos. 
So that is a little bit of background as to why in today's world, by and large, people do sing and dance on Shabbos. The next halacha is, if you've ever wondered, why don't we swim on Shabbos? You're not supposed to swim on Shabbos. What's the problem? Ain't shot in you don't swim on the water or in the water. We're consumed lest you make a float or a raft. Because that was the first thing people did. They jumped into a lake. They said, oh, we need to build a raft. So they created a float and they, before you know it, they're building. They're hocking and clopping. Therefore, our sages say, swimming is a problem. And therefore, the Rambam brings down, there's a lot of discussion here. A pool in someone's private domain. One can argue that it is permissible. And again, there are lots of different opinions here. But the Rambam says that. People don't make barrels of floats and rafts in their backyard, in their pool. Rafts and floats you make in a lake, in the ocean. Provided that the pool has a edge jutting up, that the water shouldn't be removed, so that people should not misunderstand. Well, if a pool is okay, then the ocean must be okay. The ocean presents big problems. Because if the pool is located even in a public domain, it's forbidden because one will spray water more than four cubits. And that's another problem. So for this reason, some people allow swimming in a backyard pool. Others don't. Again, this is not the final source of halacha. Six. Ein chait chen shokona. Now, in the diagrams, there's a barrel with a pipe coming out of it. We do not cut a reed because it's like creating a utensil. A reed is like a straw. If it was cut, even though it's not finished, you can put it into the hole in the barrel on Shabbos, because the reed will bring forth wine, becomes like a funnel. We're not concerned about adjusting and fixing. Or another way of doing that is to take a myrtle leaf, that will cause a funnel, because that's creating a faucet on Shabbos, and that is already problematic in contrast to the reed where you have to merely insert it. It's necessary to fold the leaf and adjust it so the wine will flow through it, says the Shulchan Aruch again, like everything else. There's a lot of discussion. Another reason one might pick the leaf on Shabbos and so on and so forth. They shave one may also not break a shard or tear paper because he's also fixing, preparing a utensil by what he's doing. Here there's another diagram, a branch which is tied to a cup over a well. 
Memalin Babishabas, you can fill from the well, draw from the well on Shabbos. But if it's not tied in Memalin Ba, then you cannot draw water with it. Why? Because we're concerned that a person is going to trim this branch, adjust it. Therefore, if it's tied to the cup, it's permanent. But if not, then it's forbidden. It's forbidden to polish silverware with a chemical called garticone, a white power, referred to as alum or tartar, which serves as a natural polish. Why? Because it makes it shine as if it was treated by a craftsman, and we don't do craftsman stuff on Shabbos. It's like he's fixing something and completing its work on Shabbos. Imagine if you have a piece of tarnished silver. It's unfinished. When you polish it, it's finished. You're proud to display it. That is craftsman style. However, one may polish it with sand or with neser. The Rambam describes neser in another place as a blue pumice stone used for detergent purposes. It's also called natrium in Latin. This has led some to think that the intent is sodium bicarbonate, a natural cleanser from the notes. Similarly speaking, all utensils may be polished with any substance. It's forbidden to wash plates or cooking dishes or anything similar. Because it is like one improves them. Because obviously, before one washes something, it's uh, not usable. Here we get into another problem. We're not allowed to do stuff on Shabbos for the weekday. If you're finished with this dish, why are you washing it? For Sunday. So if you're going to use it for Shalashudas, that's something else. However, the exception is drinking utensils, vikitenes, or pitchers. People are always drinking. You're allowed to wash them any time. Nobody says, all right, I drank enough, it's four o'clock. The next four hours, I'm not going to drink. And there's an opinion that says that's before they had styrofoam cups. The environment was cleaner. Maybe. Also, along the same lines, one may not make beds on Shabbos, <clears throat> so that they could approach a made bed on Saturday night, because you're preparing Shabbos for Saturday night. But no problem doing it in order to use them again on Shabbos. And there's an interesting note here who says that the Mogen Avram says that one who makes a bed, one may make a bed if the disorder in the room on Shabbos makes one uncomfortable. I can't have my bed unmade. I can't enjoy my Shabbos. In that case, you can make your bed. Because you're not making it for Sunday. You're making it for peace of mind today. Which is a very important law, which applies to many people in today's culture. 
You have people, you have guests coming into your house, they're going to see your unmade bed, you're, you're, you're a slob. So that's the logic behind the fact that today people will make a bed on Shabbos even though they're not necessarily going to use it on Shabbos. Or maybe they'll take a nap on Shabbos. That's fine too. Ches, also the hot bill, kalim, tmei, and b'shabbos, along the same lines, one may not immerse utensils that are ritually impure. Remember, the Rambam is a unique teaching which covers the Holy Temple era and the post-Holy Temple era. So there's a lot of integration between, uh, of errors. One may not immerse vessels which are impure on Shabbos, which they used to do during the time of the Beis HaMikdash, because it's like you're repairing and making a vessel for use because it was unfit before it was used. Now there's another kind of immersion in a vessel, and that's the vessel that we purchased from a Gentile has to be immersed in a mikveh. That's a type of immersion that the Rambam is referring to as well. Can you take vessels immersed in a mikveh on Shabbos? The answer is no. But an impure person during the time of the Beis HaMikdash may immerse because it's not necessarily so that he's immersing himself in order to complete himself, in order to be able to enter the Beis HaMikdash. Maybe he's hot and he's cooling off. All of their mikvahs, by the way, back then, were cold. They didn't have the idea of hot mikvahs. Hot mikvahs is a relatively recent innovation. Or, during the time of the ashes of the red heifer, you don't sprinkle ash on Shabbos. If somebody immerses utensils, utensils on Shabbos. B'shegig inadvertently, he didn't realize it. He didn't realize you're not allowed to. Yishtamish b'mad, he could use them. B'meizid, intentionally, yishtamish b'mad, he shouldn't use them till Saturday night. We can immerse impure water on Shabbos. How do you immerse impure water? He puts it in a vessel that does not receive impurity, like a stone vessel. He immerses the vessel. Water comes upon them and becomes pure. And I want to point out here, note 41. At present, this halacha is relevant for the following context. Women are permitted to immerse themselves in the mikvah on Friday night, which is why mikvahs are open on Friday night for women if it's their night to go to the mikvah with certain restrictions. And men are allowed to immerse themselves on the Shabbos, Shabbos morning, for the sake of holiness. Care must be taken when toweling oneself not to squeeze water from the towel, which goes back to the squeezing thing. He also points out here, originally the license to immerse oneself in the mikvah on Shabbos was given before it was customary to heat mikvahot. The mikvahs were cold and therefore we don't go into the whole story we learned in the last chapter without water. Mikvahs were cold. At present, however, the leniency is continued in most communities, even when the mikveh has been heated. So nowadays, by and large, people will use a heated mikveh, whether it's Friday night for women or Shabbos morning for men. 
And this is something that evolved in the system of halacha because it's mikveh. And people know that it's not a public bathhouse. You don't have lying attendants in the whole nine yards. It's a mikveh. And there's a lot of discussion on this, not for this setting. Nine, another example of finishing something is separating tithes on Shabbos. Before you separated the tithe, you can't use that thing. Now you separate the tithe, you can eat the food. During the Beis Hamikdash and so on. During the time when tithes were separated. Ten, next case, processing leather. So it's one of the major forbidden labors. Therefore, Ramadachich er b'shemen, a person who softens a hide with oil, kederach shab donamaisim, like the leather workers do, processing included softening hide with oil. Harezem abed, this is leather processing b'chayev, and he's liable. Lefikach has an outgrowth of that rabbinic decree. Loyosach adam ragli b'shemen, a person should not anoint his foot with oil. Although we learned earlier, it is permitted to anoint one's foot with oil on one's body. But here, if the foot is in the shoe, because now you're anointing the shoe too. Or especially in new shoes. But he can anoint his foot with oil. And then put on his shoe or, or his sandal. Even though they're new. Or he can even anoint his whole body in oil. And then he can roll over a new bed cover. Like a leather bed cover. And there's no concern that his body with the oil is going to be oiling the bed cover. It's very indirect. When does this apply? When it was only poquito, only a little oil, only that the leather become moist. But if he soaked his skin with oil, only with the intent of softening the leather. That's forbidden. Because he's processing the leather. It's not a joke. All of the above is with new leather. But old leather, it's okay. It's It's not terrible being that it's old leather. 11. A person who spreads plaster, a plaster on the Shabbos. Is liable for performing a derivative of the forbidden labor of smoothing a hide. Smoothing. And that's the problem with smoothing anything, applying any ointment or anything. One may not seal a whole close with wax. Even with fat. We don't close the whole. This is a decree lest one use wax. Moving right along, 12 yud bays, kesev, writing... Is of the major categories of forbidden labor. The fecal, therefore, as an outgrowth of that, our sages forbode, forbade, usher, it is forbidden, to apply eye paint, woman's makeup, or similar stuff, because it's like writing. Also, an outgrowth, a decree of, associated with writing, 
Interesting. That was a pun. Interesting. But also, it's forbidden to borrow or lend. To lend or borrow. They were concerned that, hey, I'm, I'm lending you money, I'm borrowing money, I'm going to have to write a note. So before you know it, you're writing. For this reason, it's forbidden to buy and sell, to rent or lease. Because, again, before I know it, I'm writing a contract. A person may not hire workers on the Shabbos. Why? What is he violating writing? He may write a contract. He shouldn't tell somebody else to hire workers for him. Because he's going to be writing notes. However, to borrow and lend is no problem. You know, can I borrow a cup of sugar? There's no contracts for borrowing a cup of sugar from a neighbor. Well, I had one neighbor in New Jersey, but New Jersey is... No, just kidding. A person can borrow a jug of wine or a jug of oil, as long as he doesn't use the word, lend me! Because that sounds commercial. If somebody sells with a verbal agreement or by transferring the article, he says, take it, we'll talk after Shabbos about price. I'm not going to tell the story, I'm not going to tell the story, I'm not going to tell the story. It's forbidden to weigh, whether you're using a scale, not with a scale, there's other ways of weighing. Just as it's forbidden to weigh, it's also forbidden to count, to measure, whether with a measuring vessel, or by hand, or rope. Rope is another form of measuring. Yudalit 14 ain't done in Bishabas. Courts are not convened on Shabbos. The court is closed on Saturday. We don't do the chalitza, which is the Leverite ritual, or the yibum, the Leverite marriage, or we don't betroth marriage. Marriages are not done on Shabbos. Why? What's so terrible? Because the concern is that in order to properly affect the marriage, you've got to write a ksuba. Before you know it, you're going to be writing. Writing is a big no-no on Shabbos. You don't consecrate, endow, evaluate, which is what they used to do for the Beis Amigdash. Because it's parallel to buying and selling. We don't make tithes, whether it's Truma to the coin or Maestro to the Levi, because it's similar to sanctifying those fruits that he set apart. He's also making ready the food he took the tithe from so that now he can eat it. There's also the law of Masa Behema where every tenth animal is sanctified. They used to take like a red whip and tap the animal. So make a red spot on the animal. That's writing. So that's why we don't do the tithing of the animal. However, a person may consecrate his paschal sacrifice on Shabbos, his festive sacrifice, on the festival, because this is the mitzvah of the day. And a person will be careful. You don't sprinkle the ashes of the red heifer. If somebody does tithe, 
b'shegig inadvertently, yechol mashiskin, then he can eat. B'meizen, intentionally, l'yechol shouldn't eat from that food from which he tithed, ad matzah Shabbos, until Saturday night, l'benkach, l'benkach, tikkunas ha'peres. In any event, the food is ready because the deed was done. Question is when he can eat from it. So also, if one makes a consecration or like to the inadvertently or intentionally, what was done was done. How much more so on the yomtev? So also, if somebody conveys something to someone else on Shabbos, a transaction, the transaction is done. Stuff, uh, produce that we're not sure whether the true more was taken from it. This may be tithe, because that's only rabbinic, but not the certain. Somebody who designated the truma of the master. The master is the 10% that goes to the levy. The truma is the 10% that the levy gives to the Kohen. Of Dmai, which means one is not certain whether one did the Truma or not. Or the tithe for the poor in certain years. Shalvade of certain. You shouldn't take it on Shabbos. Even though he designated a place for it before Shabbos. And it's well known that this, which is laying here next to this produce, is Truma or Maisa. However, if he has a coin in his house, or a poor man in his house. Let them come and eat from this. He has to inform the coin. That which I'm feeding you, it's not mine, so don't say thank me. Don't say thank you. It's the tithe that you get from my tithe, says the lady to the coin. Or he lets, he informs the poor man. That which I am feeding you, Maseroni, is the tithe that I'm supposed to give to the poor. It's forbidden to draw lots or to play dice on the Shabbos, which is a gambling thing. Because gambling is like buying and selling. However, a person could draw lots with his children and members of his household, saying who gets the big piece of apple pie, who gets the little one, because they're not that concerned. It's not business. Not really gambling. 18. It's forbidden to make calculations on Shabbos. That he needs. Whether it's concerning matters of the past. Or the future. Because as anybody who is a mathematician, and just for the people who are watching this on the internet, we happen to have with us in this class a professor of mathematics. The concern is a mathematician has to write right away. He's going to start writing, and that's an outgrowth of writing. If there's no need for these calculations, then one can calculate him if he's just doing an academic exercise. Ketzad, for example, people are in conversation and they're having hypothetical conversations. Let me see how many measures of grain did we possess in 1978? Like, who cares, you know? How much did we spend for my son's wedding, you know? He's got grandchildren already. These are immaterial theoretical conversations. They just wasted talk. There's no practicality. 
You're not going to grab a pencil. Therefore, there's no difference between making these calculations on, on Shabbos or not, because it's not for practical stuff. 19 also likre bishtari hadyetis bishabbos along the same lines. It's forbidden to read mundane documents on Shabbos. Why? Because Shabbos should be used for more important things. It shouldn't be like we do in the weekdays. Also, if you're proofreading contracts, you have a pen with you and you're going to cross out and, and, and make notes. A person can verbally count his guests and his desserts to see if he has enough dessert for the guests. But looking at the paper and saying, this, 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 before you know it, he's going to go through documents. And inadvertently make notes. If the names were engraved on a tablet or on the wall, that's fine. Because it doesn't look like a document. It's forbidden to read the writings under a figure or an image on the Shabbos. And the notes here bring down that many of the art, much of the art back then was idolatry based. So he's going to start reading idolatry based descriptions of art. It's also not the best thing to read holy writings in the shul or, or in a house of study because then he's not going to do what he's supposed to be doing in the house of study which is studying with everybody else, I believe it means. Everybody should not sit in their own house and read. Rather, the people should gather for public communal classes. Now we enter into a whole different category of laws beginning with chapter 20. By way of introduction, we learned earlier about a fire breaking out, God forbid, on Shabbos. If there is a danger of life and death, life endangerment, then one does what one has to do to extinguish the fire on Shabbos. And nowadays, there's a lot of life and death endangerment with fires on Shabbos. Again, the Rambam is not the place for final halacha. Here, we're not talking about whether to extinguish the fire or not. Here, we're talking about something else. And that is, one thing is clear, that if there is absolutely no danger of life, no risk to anyone's life whatsoever. But there is a risk to people's possessions. We don't violate Shabbos for possessions. So now the question is, but still, it's all I have in the world, and it's Shabbos, I won't even have lunch. What can I do? What can I take out from this area that may be engulfed in flames in a few hours, or in a few minutes? What may I take and what may I not take? Because it's Shabbos. And that's what we're about to learn. Complex legalese. If a fire broke out in a courtyard, like a condominium complex, like a private courtyard with many houses on Shabbos. Number one, one should not remove everything he has 
in that courtyard to the next courtyard, even though there's a Eruv which permits carrying from one to the other. Why? Here comes these decrees. Gzeda, because the concern is, if there's going to be open season on doing what you have to, Gzeda, the next automatic reaction is to extinguish the fire. And if there is a danger of life and death, one may extinguish the fire. If it's clearly not, one may not. So the concern is, if it's going to be just free for all, a person is very, very concerned, and he panics when it comes to his property. Understandably so. Lefiko therefore goes to our sages decreed because of the law of extinguishing fire on Shabbos. When there is no endangerment or possible endangerment of life, he should only save and rescue the food, speaking of food, that he needs for that Shabbos. And also vessels he needs for Shabbos. He can take all the garments he can put on his body. He's going to give up on the rest, and he's not going to extinguish because he's going to know that that's accepted. If there is no Erev, he can't even take that. What can he take for food? If the fire broke out on Friday night, he can take food for him and his guests. Three meals. That which is fit for man, he takes for man. That which is fit for animals, he takes for animals. If the fire broke out in the morning, there's two meals. In the afternoon, only one meal. When does this apply? When he takes the food in many containers. Or he takes it out and empties it out. He fills it up again. He only takes what he needs. If he's only taking one large vessel, even though it has more than he needs, that's fine. How does this work? He can take a basket full of breads or full of rolls, even though he has many meals there. The eagle shall develop. Or he could take a cake of dried figs, the chabashulyayin, and a barrel of wine. He doesn't have to take one cup of wine out. He can take the whole barrel. So also if he spread out his garment, his talis, and he just dumped everything he could find in there, <coughs> and he filled up his talis in one trip, that's fine too. Chabdala 24, and he says to others, come and get it. Everybody can get food that he needs. A kli echad shemachzik. I feel the dover echad, or one vessel that holds. I feel the dover god leaving something large. It belongs to the one who saved it, because the guy who owns it gave up on it. We have laid out some matzul lekachta and a son of the bolup. If the guy who saved it doesn't want to keep it and gives it back, the guy can pay him for his. Troubles after Shabbos. This is not concerned. Sabbath. This is not considered Sabbath payment. Because there's no labor violation. There's no prohibition. Because the place has an Erev. It's permissible to carry there on Shabbos. The question is, our rabbis decreed not to overdo it because you're going to extinguish the fire. Hitzel, if he say, Pasnikia, a loaf of fine flour, he should not go back 
and get a lower grade of bread. But if he got the lower grade, he can go back and get the higher grade. Well, he can even say, what he needs for the day after, if it falls on Shabbos. If Yom Kippur was on Friday, he can't save on Shabbos for Yom Kippur, because you don't have to eat on Yom Kippur. Needless to say, for Yom because you can cook on Yom not on this Shabbos, to the next Shabbos, what he saves to put on, he puts on anything he can. He unwraps himself in anything he can, and takes it. He tells others, come and save. Anybody could put on as many garments as they can, and they bring it out. It belongs to him, because it becomes public property. I want to point out that nowadays, with the fixed calendar, Shabbos and Yom Kippur could never come one after the other. Yom Kippur can never fall on a Friday or on a Sunday. The Rambam mentions it because during the time that the moon was sanctified by witnesses, Yom Kippur could come out any day, but nowadays the calendar is set, so we never have two Shabbases in a row. That's why Yom Kippur is never Friday or Sunday. What about holy books, sacred writings? You're allowed to save all sacred writings and take them out from one courtyard to the other. Even though there is not an Erev in this courtyard. Erev Chatzedes, Babachi, Lomobi. Or actually, the era of carrying as long as the courtyard has three walls and one little piece of the fourth wall, which we learned about, is rabbinically considered a wall. Provided that the holy writings he's saving are written in the language in the font that Taurus and Tfilm and Mezuzahs are written, which is called Ksav Ashuris, and in Hebrew. But if they were written in other languages or in other fonts, we cannot save them. Even there was an Erev. Furthermore, even in the weekdays, one should be careful not to read them. They may be unholy. But he just leaves them in an open place, and what happens to them happens to them. In the notes here, he points out that was then, when oral law was not written. This is now, when oral law is written down. And therefore, we have many writings of holy matters that are not in the Torah font, and that are not in Hebrew. For example, we have Sidurim, Chumoshim. All of these are holy, they're in different languages, and they're not in the holy font. So therefore, today, any holy books can be saved. It's a very important point to bring out. 27, if these sacred texts are written with other tints or with red ink, which we learned is not kosher for Taurus and so on. Even though they're not permanent, and that's why they're not kosher, but being that they're written in the font of the Torah and in the holy language, one can save them. 
blank portions of parchment for scroll, above the writing, below the writing, between portions, between pages, the beginning of the scroll, and we learned all of this in great detail in the laws of Torah, all the spaces that are required before and after the book, around the book, around the page, and so on. They cannot be saved. Tables of blessings, amulets, even though they have letters of Hashem's name and many Torah thoughts, they're not holy writings and one may not save them. A Torah that still has 85 complete letters with complete words, and even if Incorporated in these words are simple, mundane words, such as the group of stones established as a covenant between Jacob and Laban. And it says that Laban, in his language, referred to this Gal aid as Yigar Sahadusa. There's nothing very holy about the words Yigar Sahadusa. Yes, there is. It's in the Torah. Or there is a portion with less than 85 letters, but it has Hashem's name again, Vayihi bin Sayyahorin, like the portion of Vayihi bin Sayyahorin. Actually, Vayihi bin Sayyahorin does contain 85 letters, and that's where the 85 letter thing comes from, because it is said that Vayihi bin Sayyahorin is a portion for itself. You save it from a fire. We can save the scrolls carrying case with the scroll. We take film, the film bag, in my film with the film. Even though there's money in the film bag with the film. Again, I want to point out the laws of fire are very complex. If there's any chance that there is a risk of life and death, then all bets are off. And this is not the source for this particular halacha, but I did want to make mention of it, and one should look in contemporary halachic authorities as to how to deal, God forbid, with fires.